Welcome to the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. This is the show that shares information and inspiration to help you break free from self-doubt, limiting beliefs and disempowering patterns, and break through to create the thriving, successful business you dream of and deserve. I'm your host, Winnie Anderson. The show features interviews with entrepreneurs who've overcome amazing challenges to create success on their terms and experts who share insight and practical information that can help you move past your blocks with courage, confidence, and clarity. The show is available in both video and audio formats on a variety of platforms, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, in the Google Play Store, on YouTube, and on my website at winnieanderson.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share the show with others, and I hope you'll decide to become a fan of the show on my site at winnieanderson.com fans. When you do, you'll get episodes delivered right to your inbox, along with information, tips, and resources to help you position and pre-sell yourself as the unique solution provider you are, so you can profit from your expertise while you build a business in alignment with your faith, beliefs, and values. This episode falls in the category I consider an entrepreneur's journey. I think there's a lot to learn from the path that others have taken and the mistakes that they've made, what they do differently now that they've achieved success. I particularly love to interview people who were experts in their former profession, you know, for their employer, who then had to figure out how to position themselves as an expert out on their own, and then not just build a business, but run a thriving, successful business. Today's guest fits that description perfectly. Andy Falco Jimenez was forced to retire from the Anaheim Police Department after 21 years, with many of those years spent as the top canine officer on the force. Andy was a recognized leader sought out by other community police departments to do canine training and was a nationally recognized speaker on topics related to training and building a canine unit. But a pair of car accidents while he was on duty led to some scary symptoms for him and showed him how little he meant to the organization. Forced to retire, he had to find himself and build a business to fully support his growing family. He candidly shares how he did that. You'll hear the mistakes and most of all what he did to persevere and become someone who now helps others become the recognized expert in their field too. So listen in as Andy shares what was so hard about leaving the police force. The hardest part about building a business based on your skill and expertise. The mistakes he made with his pricing and how he fixed them. The reason he nearly lost his house in spite of having a business that made good money. The important three-part lesson he learned that changed his life and his business. Why and how narrowing his focus led to more clients. How he built his authority status, and you can too. As always, listen all the way to the end where I'll share your cocktail exercise and action step for this episode. All right, Andy, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. It took us a while to get to this point. It did. That's because you are so in demand. That's the issue. It's you. So let's let's just dive in here and because you have... Just such a fantastic, fascinating story. I want to make sure that we hear all of it. So you are now, you're a coach, you're a consultant, you got these live stream shows going on, you're this big online expert, but you also have, I know, your your whole dog training thing and, and that sort of thing. But let's, let's, start, let's go in the Wayback Machine and go back to your first professional life, which was you were a cop, right? I was. I was a police officer for the city of Anaheim for 21 years. I was in the. Uh, I was in patrol to start. Of course, that's where you always start when you're a police officer. At least here in California, uh, I, I quickly got into the police canine unit um, and uh, found my passion while I was there. Um, and then we were I, not only patrol, but we also were narcotics detection trained. And then we were one of the very first SWAT team uh, dogs on any SWAT team anywhere. Uh, that we knew of at the time. And, um, even LA, we were even ahead of them slightly. And so we did that. And then I became, uh, the trainer for the police department. I was a detective in, in uh, sex crimes and family crimes. 
And, uh, and then I got in a, a car accident. Um, actually, I got into two. I got into one, and that kind of started the little bit of head trauma that I had, a little post-concussion syndrome. And then uh, several years later, in 2002, actually at the night of Game 7 of the World Series where the Angels won, um, I got into another crash, and that pretty much ended my career. It took about three years for the department to kind of work through the process of saying, uh, go away. Uh, but uh, that's what ended up uh, retiring me is the, uh, the post-concussion syndrome I was going through. Okay, so a couple of things there I want to want to visit is, were, were you always a doggy person? What what led you to get into canine work? Well, I don't know if I was a doggy person because actually the first dog I had as a pet, I probably wasn't the best pet owner as a okay. nine year old. <laughs> <laughs> Who is at that point? Uh, I, I like the thought of having a dog, but like many kids, you know, the picking up the, the poop and the grooming because it was a Cocker Spaniel was the first dog that I really, really wanted named Spanky. Um, I liked having him as a pet because he would pull me down the street on the skateboard and he was really cool and nice and it seemed to like everybody. But it was I, I wasn't great at the other stuff. Right. As, as many people are. Right. So, um, but I know for sure at that time I was really interested in training animals. And I, and I always thought from I, the time I can remember that I was going to be a, uh, a, a dolphin or whale trainer at SeaWorld because I loved SeaWorld. And so I really truly thought that's what I was going to do. Even in high school, I was taking oceanography and science and biology because I thought that's where I would end up. Um, and so to answer your question, I think more or less I was interested in animals and nature and and uh, the training of the okay. dogs and that kind of stuff was uh, was part of my life. But it, it really didn't hit me until I became a cop that that was, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever. That's so awesome. So yeah. what makes canine cops different from regular cops? Obviously, you go through some kind of training, but why is that like a higher level, would you say, of, of cop, of officer? I, I guess it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> if you talk to me, yes, of course it's a higher level. Um, what makes us different is that um, you never, all the other jobs in the, in the, in the police department, you, you go home and you, you can actually get away from it. Where a canine, you can't. You drive a, the dog home, you live with the dog, you drive the, the police car home, so the police car is parked in your garage, uh, and it is, you never leave it. You got to take care of the dog every day. You have to, every time you're with your dog, even your pet dog, you're training your dog, right? You're, you're, you're helping the dog understand what it can and can't do. You maintain the rules just like you do with children. And so when you take your police dog home, you have to know that if there's something that you're not doing correctly at home, it, it can affect you on the street and make your dog less effective. So it's one of those things that just, it, as long as you're in it, I was in it for a very long time, um, that it's, it's seven days a week, 24 hours a day, uh, 365 days out of the year that you're responsible for the city's dog and their equipment at your home. And so that's really um, a big difference between anything else that's in the police department. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that, wow, that, that makes complete sense, but I hadn't stopped to think about it. So yeah, you are different because you're on duty 365 days a year. Really? It, it never, you're never off. I, guess, you, you I guess all cops probably feel the same way, but I can see when, <laughs> When you're walking around with that dog, you're yeah, and it's hard to say no when they call you and say, "Hey, we need your dog." There's a guy hiding in Walmart, and um, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, they call you, and you got to get up, get get your dog, get in the car, and go to the station and right. go try to find that guy because that's the one tool that can do that very effectively. Yeah. Okay. So now the accident and mm. and how it literally like you knocked me out of of work. How did they? How did they decide? that, you know, why is two strikes your limit? Was it the nature of the injury? Did you have to, you know, did you go through the whole neurocycle, you know, evaluation and all that to make a determination that you can't go on? Or do they just have a rule, two strikes and you're out? Nope, nothing like that. But okay. the, the, the first, cra well, understand this also. I, I played football growing up as a kid. I pole vaulted um, uh, and was uh, ranked very high in the state. That, that has nothing to do with it, but I was pole vaulting a lot, right? And poles break from time to time, and sometimes you miss the padding. Uh, and then uh, as, a, as a, a, an adult, I started playing ice hockey and roller hockey and foot hockey. And so that also contributes at, at some point to, you know, what's going on in your noggin and the amount of times you have to take a hit here and there or fall on the ground. Just, just understand that even a fall on the ground can cause a concussive uh, uh, act in your brain and cause and begin to cause some injury. And each time it happens, it, it com it's compounded. It's not just right. doubles. It like just gets worse. So 
the two crashes, the two major crashes I had, the first one probably was enough uh, because I had memory loss. I would get lost. I would forget things. But the difference, uh, the difference then was mostly in me. I was a, a cop. I was a man. Uh, that felt that you cannot share your pain, discomfort, that you're getting lost, that you're getting scared, that you're having anxiety because you just can't, <laughs> right? Because you'll get called a bunch of names from your buddies at work. Um, you don't want to seem less than. You don't want your wife to think you're weak. You don't want people around you to think you're weak. And so you hold it in and you hide it. And so that, um, and, but it was painful. Uh, the, yeah. Not painful as in it, it hurt, but painful that I was having, and anxiety is painful. Right. Because I was I, there were times I believed I was going to die um, of what I of, not, there was nothing happening. Right. Nobody had a gun to my head. I just believed in my heart that I was going to die and I didn't know how to control it. And uh, I hid it for a very, very long time. And then it was the second crash that I finally said, OK, I can't do this anymore because now it's worse. I, I mean, now. OK. Um, I'm seeing the people that I've had, you know, a guy shoot himself in front of me while I was talking to him. I had a baby that was on top of their mom who'd been uh, stabbed, you know, 21 times by the boyfriend and the baby was all full of blood trying to wake up the mom. And then a baby who died in a fiery um, incident with a, with a vehicle who was strapped in their car seat and couldn't get him out. And so I began, those things became part of my daily life. And I, and I was, they always, I was seeing them and it happened more often after the second crash. So that kind of like, I got to tell somebody and it, that's when you make it known. Now the city goes, Oh, well, we can't trust you. Right. <laughs> and, uh, it, but it became that I love my career as a, a law enforcement officer. I loved everything I did. I loved the people that I could help. I love the people that helped me. Uh, there was a lot that I really, truly loved. I, I traveled throughout the world because of being a law enforcement, being in the canine unit. I did a bunch of things. The thing I hated is how they treated me after I, my second crash. That was horrific what they did not do for me. Uh, and now it became a battle. So now when you're fighting to be healed, fighting to see the right doctors and they're not sending them to you, now it becomes an adversity, adversarial. What's the word I'm looking for? Adversarial. Adversarial. That's yeah. the word I'm looking for. Uh, adversarial kind of relationship. And um, we hated each other uh, towards the end. And I think part of them retiring me was because they got tired of me um, demanding them to do something. <laughs> yeah. It actually gave me the care you needed. Yeah. And that wasn't really the, the police department, right? Now you're in the hands of City Hall. And now City Hall uh, Workman's Comp is an entirely different monster. And um, and they just, they drug their feet. They, you know, there was a lot. And so um, I think part of it, and I'm, I'm sorry mm -hmm. that this is taking so long, but no. the answer to your question was that it wasn't, it was just all of that stuff is that I finally spoke out. And now that I spoke out, you know, and I was healthy, right? Overall physically healthy. Like right. if you just would have helped me, <laughs> I would probably still be at the police department today, right? All you yeah. had to do is send me to the right doctor, right? right. I asked to be sent to the Anaheim Ducks doctor who knows how to deal with concussions. They said, you know, what, right. are you kidding me? You just take some more ibuprofen uh, and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I go, what does ibuprofen have to do with I'm getting lost, right? I just, they kept feeding me this and I just kept, you know, piling up and you know, saving it for whatever reason. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it was, uh, so anyway, it, that's, that's what ended up happening. <laughs> they handed okay. me my badge and they said, retire, here's your, uh, you know, your retirement. You're going to get it for the rest of your life and just go away and leave us alone. And so I did not happily, but I did. Right. So there was no, there was no job inside the department that you could have possibly, transferred to and, I, and that and, and I laugh because it's so frustrating because and you know I have my own head head injury my own issues yeah. and because everything involves thinking right and then there's the stress and and what yeah. triggers that anxiety so understand this I was and again I'm only going to say this because it's important to the story but yeah. I was looked at as one of the leading experts in police canine in the world mm -hmm. at the time I was teaching all over the world the city was sending me places. I mean, they were paying me to go other places to teach other police departments how to run their canine units. I mean, that's kind of how highly they thought of me. Yeah. Uh, and I was doing that even after the crashes. And they were still kind of benefiting in the sense that, hey, he's our guy. You know, he's the guy that we trained and he's right. one of the best in the world. And they, were, they, they had my trophies. They had all my awards. I was officer of the year. I had gotten a career achievement award. I was on the Disney Channel. I was doing a bunch of stuff, right? But yet I'm this horrible person. <laughs> right. 
that can't be around. And so, um, yes, there were other jobs I could have done. It wasn't anything. I didn't have to carry a gun, right? I could have done, I, I could train dogs without a gun if you right. felt it was unsafe to have a gun, right? Uh, I could have done a whole heck of a lot of other things. Uh, so I was not prepared for that retirement. It was not on, even on my vision board yeah. uh, of like what I'm going to do next, right? It's just suddenly the chief called me up the office and says, okay, here's your badge. Uh, and I, uh, I lost, um, I lost my cool a little bit. <laughs> no. <laughs> I said, what? Cause there's guys limping to their patrol cars and getting inside their cars, right? There's guys that are all hunched over because of all the pain that they're in. But yep, they're going away out of, I go, you're letting that guy go out on patrol. Right. I am healthy, right? I just, I need help with what's going on in here. That's all I need help with, right? You help me with that. And I'm one of your most healthy guys on the SWAT team uh, doing all the things I can do. Just help me with the concussion center, I, I, migraine headaches, um, uh, you know, just the uh, vertigo that I was going through. And let's say that I get the treatment. Now we make a, a, a more educated decision on what it is that I can do for the police department and be a benefit to the citizens of Adelaide. I mean, that was my, that was my thought, <laughs> but they had, they had other thoughts. Well, you're letting me vent. <laughs> no, I think that this, you know, and I'm glad you're doing it because I think this is an issue that too often career changers, whether you're accidental or intentional, I don't know that we really fully give enough thought to what happens that last day when I turn out the lights and I drive home. And I wake up the next day, and, and now I'm technically not the same person. Yes. I don't have that place to go to. You know, the first, the first week, I tell people, the first week, it's going to feel like you're on vacation. Right? Maybe, maybe even the first two weeks, <laughs> that really big vacation. But after that, the third week, now you're like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to go to work, right? There's this element of feeling lost. At least maybe I'm projecting, but yeah. there's an element of feeling lost. So yeah. I think there's an identity issue and then. Yeah. I had a pregnant wife at the time. Um, you know, I was only getting half of my salary. So my, okay. my salary was cut in half instant, instantly, instantly. Right. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a pretty weird time. There's no other word, but I right. didn't, I got in my car and I got to leave in this police department for the last, after 21 years. <laughs> and that's your that's your identity right that's yeah. that's your identity i remember having a conversation one day at the gym actually with my workout partner who uh was an engineer and she was late to our workout that day and after the workout while we were changing she said she she told me why she was late she got laid off we worked out with a boxer a, a, professional, a former professional boxer, which was the perfect workout for the, the day you get laid off, right? Because yeah. you need to pound something. Yeah. <laughs> so she's, she's telling me as we're changing that I got laid off and she said, what am I supposed to tell people now? Who am I? I'm like, mm. well, you're still you. You just, you know, you're, you are an engineer. You just happen to be an unemployed one, but you're still an engineer. Yeah. Right. You're still you. And I think that that in the United States, especially our profession is our identity to a mm. large degree. And yep. then what? Right. And then what? So. Yeah. So what was your and then what? How did you figure out that you what the heck you were going to do? Because you certainly, as you say, you got a wife who's pregnant. You're a guy. Let's just be, you know, come on, you got to. You know, you, there's that element of, I must take care of her, I'm going to bet, right? Yep. Yeah. So how did you figure this out, what you were going to do? Well, there's a, there's a couple things that, that come to mind right away. And one of, one of them for sure is that I was already being paid to help other people with their dogs. Other police departments were paying me and that kind of stuff. So I already had something okay. kind of started. And that was one of the things the chief said to me when he says, well, you know, just go ahead and do your dog stuff that you're doing. I said, but that's, I, I, the reason I do my dog stuff is because I'm a canine guy in a police department wearing a uniform and gun and doing what it is that I'm teaching them to do. It's like, you see that connection and how that all works. And now you've taken and cut that off. And so um, there was a, there was the, you know, at least I did have something to kind of fall back on. I had this expertise that the, the department had trained me um, to do. And so I was lucky in the sense that I had that, but it was missing what I thought was the most important part. And I thought it was going to completely destroy me. The other thing is, um, 
you know, being a, a police officer, there's some, um, uh, you know, some confidence that you have to have as a, as a, as a, as a person, a man or a woman to go and, and be in law enforcement to a certain extent, right. To, to be able to walk into a, uh, into a room full of gang members that are possibly armed and sometimes doing it by yourself. There has to be some sense of confidence <laughs> yeah. to be able to do that. Either you fake it or you actually have it. Right. right. And so the, uh, the bad side of that is that you think you can do anything. Right. I, I, I was a cop. I, I had to get in shootings. I sent my dog after people. I was in 130 mile an hour pursuits through the streets of, uh, of Southern California and I've survived. And so I can, I can run a business, right? No, you can't. <laughs> yeah. 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 They tell you that it is so completely different. So yeah. Yeah. I, I thought, well, I'm just going to run a dog training business. I'm going to have employees. I'm going to just, I'm going to figure it all out. And that's going to be what I'm going to do. Well, the good news is that the system of dog training that I had created over the years of, of being able to travel all over the place and learn from a, a bunch of really smart people is the system was fantastic. And so the system of dog training that I created is what carried the business. Um, okay. It wasn't my business skills. Uh, I would be a multi multi-millionaire if I had been a better business person because we had million dollar years in, in training the dogs, million dollar years. I mean, crazy in the dog world that what we were doing and uh, in the facilities that I had, had had and the people that we had coming to us from other countries and other places and that kind of stuff. Uh, but um, running the business was not my uh, superpower. So, um, uh, I'm not a multi multi-millionaire. Uh, as a matter of fact, I almost lost my house at one point because of how crappy I ran the business. So, um, I think I, I threw in a bunch of things in there, but that's, that's kind of what happened after I retired. I thought I could, well, I'll just be a dog trainer. I'll create this business. Uh, the, the good news is the system was good enough to carry us, but uh, my right. business skills are almost destroyed. Yeah, no, I think, that, and again, I, and one of the many reasons why I, I adore you is the fact that you're just, you're going to be honest. And I, and I'm so happy that you are being honest and just being you because I recently asked a question on Facebook and I said, what was, what's the one thing, you know, now that you wish you knew when you started, whatever that thing is that you do. And I would say almost universally, people have said the business skills, I'm great at the thing, right? Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I excel at it and I love it. I could do it 24 hours a day. The yeah. problem is that some, the bill's got to get paid. I got to decide to use this technology tool. Is it the right tool? Then I got to pay for it. And then I got to make sure I'm still marketing. And it's, and they talked about this. It's the management, the business end of doing the business. It's yep. not doing it because I'm great at it. Yeah. And the one thing is the one thing you're great at, you hardly do when you become a business owner. <laughs> Boom, right there. I wanted to be a dog trainer. I didn't want to be an accountant. I didn't want to be a marketing person at the time. Right. I, uh, I didn't want right. to be the janitor. I didn't want to be the guy picking up the dog poop in all the kennels. I didn't want to be, I, there's none of that that I want to right. do, but I right. do more of that and a little tiny bit of what I'm good at. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Yeah, really well said. And, and I think that that also speaks to why you can't undercharge. Because when you look at your billable hours, right, there's, there's only 24 in the day and I got to sleep for at least for six, right? So what else am I doing? And there are days when nothing I'm doing is revenue generating, right? So you've got to make sure that you price to cover all of this time that you're spent doing other stuff because you're not doing it. Yeah. That thing you just brought up about what you charge was probably one of the big, I had a lot, I've had a lot of big moments over the last six or seven years. Uh, but that was one of the biggest moments that I got through a counselor at, um, oh my gosh, the name is escaping me, SCORE, uh, which is the business, uh, uh, business administrator. Uh, yeah. uh, what's it called again? The SBA. They, yeah, they, do, yeah, they have SCORE, yes. Small Business yes. Administration, yes, yeah. has SCORE, which is a bunch of retired business owners who really just want to help new business owners right. learn how to run their business. And so I discovered it. Somebody told me about it and said, hey, it's free. You can go and it can give you advice. And Because I, I knew, I, I, I finally realized after about 10 years that I suck this thing calling, <laughs> uh, that I, I'm calling myself a business owner and I suck at it, right? And so I went there and one of the first things he told me, he goes, okay, let's talk about your pricing structure. What does he do? What, what, is, what do you charge? I charge this. He goes, what if somebody says they can't afford it? Well, then, you know, then I 
sometimes we'll like take about 10% off or I'll cut it in half. <laughs> he goes, what, what then? What do they, what if they can't afford it then? Well, then I try to figure out if I can maybe break it up into payments um, over a, a long period of time. And he goes, okay, well that, there's your biggest problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. He goes, he goes, are you the best at what you do? I said, and again, this is back again where I'm trying to figure out how it is that I can actually say that I'm yep. really good at, at what I do without sounding arrogant. Like to me saying right. it sounded, I, I couldn't do it. So you go, are you the best? I go, well, kind of. I mean, a lot of people really like what I do. <laughs> are you the best at it? I go, well, yeah. I mean, they hire me. <laughs> and he's going, right, no, listen to me. You are, you're the best, right? From what I see on your resume and your CV and the television that you've done and all the stuff that you've done, I just looking at this can tell that you're one, if you're not the best, you're one of the best. And I said, okay. Uh, yeah. He goes, well, you need to start acting like it and you need to start charging like it. And number two, you need to set your prices at a, at a level that, that, that show people that you are a leading expert in what it is you do, right? You can't be astronomical. But if you're too low, then you're not you're not valuing yourself and what you have in your expertise right. and the years that you've you've taken to develop this expertise, and so you need to change that price. And then lastly, you never change your price. <laughs> he yeah. goes, quit whoring yourself out. Is what he told me. That's coming. This, I'm just saying what he told me. He said, you're whoring yourself out. You just keep lowering your price until you're not making any money. I said, at some point, you're actually paying them to come and be taught by you. Right at, at some point, and so he goes, set your price, make it higher, don't change it. It's never about the price. Just so you know, is what he's. That's right. Me. Never about the price. It's uh, it's about who you are. It's the relationships you build and show that what they're paying uh, for is valuable enough for them to pay the amount that they're paying you, and that's all you need to do. And just and just and over deliver. And so from that <laughs> point on, it uh, I go. Oh my gosh, this I've not lowered my prices. He, That's he, awesome. He really put me in my place. But yeah, and I think, you know what, again, I think you bring something up that so many of us wrestle with. One, it's owning our excellence, yep. right? We don't want to be arrogant. He wasn't telling you, go stand on the corner of Broad and oh, Main no. and Where'd tell people, right, that you're an expert. No, he's, he's just, it's just the two of you. But we hesitate to even admit that. So owning your excellence and pricing for that excellence. It's important. All right. So we could go on for days, probably just about yeah. this whole pricing versus management issue. And so what did you do? Basically, I mean, really, what did you do? Because because you are this incredible world, you know, world recognized uh, a dog trainer. How did you manage to deal with running the business? Did you have to hire somebody or what? Well, I think the first thing is that I had to really sit down and say, okay, what have you done? Um, and really look at, you know, the, the training that I had, uh, the, the success that I had, the failures that I had that I learned from. Right. Uh, and, and I like to journal. So I was uh, at that time in particular, I like to journal. So I had a lot of notes and stuff. And I, I first had to convince myself that I was an expert. That was really the first thing I had to do. I had to look in the mirror and I've told other people to do the same. If, when you are going to move forward and sell something, uh, a product or a service or a coaching uh, you know, program based on what it is you know, it's going to be really hard for you to do that if you don't believe that you are an expert in what it is you're yeah. doing, that you, that if you don't believe in yourself. And so I had to literally stand in front of a mirror and just tell myself I'm an expert and to not look back, that I'm not going to apologize for it. Um, I'm going to say it in a way that hopefully does not... Um, you know, repel people. I mean, that's really obviously really important, right. but you just got to be able to not only say it, but show the proof on some level too. This is what I've done. These are, I had contracts with Disneyland's all over the world, right? I was training their bomb dogs and narcotics dogs. I had trained, uh, you know, major medical centers that had, um, uh, atomic uh, devices for some of their uh, nuclear medicine and that kind of stuff that I was training bomb dogs for. Uh, I did work for Steven Spielberg and I was on Animal Planet, right? And so I go, okay, I, I think that's enough. <laughs> and up to that point, I was going, well, I'm kind of, no, gosh darn it. I mean, I, it would be really hard to do any of those things for any period of time without having uh, an expertise in it and be able to say, you know what? Uh, yeah, I'm an expert in it. Uh, I've done really well and we've changed many lives with what we've been able to do and just say it and, and right. own it 
and do it in a way that obviously doesn't repel, like I said before, but do it in a way that really tells people that you're in the right place. And if you need help with this thing, um, I am the person who can help you with it. I know enough and I've experienced enough and I've made enough mistakes, right, to, to know what is what I should be doing now that I, you know, that I shouldn't have done in the first place. And so here, so that's the first thing. The next thing is that I set my prices. I asked what people are charging to be an expert in other things. And right around $350, I'd say, would be the average uh, an hour uh, for a really good attorney, uh, a really good coach that knows what they're talking about. And that was kind of the median price that I was coming. I've heard everything up to $600. Of course, you have your $10,000 people. I just didn't. Right. I, I meant, you know, so that we, uh, I can, the average person who really needs an expert, what are they going to pay? And right around. So um, I, I started charging $200 an hour for my time. Uh, and so I, that was the, the guide for everything. Mm -hmm. And so from that point on, everything was based on that guide. And so, um, and I never changed it. I've not, I've, 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 I've increased it. I'm up to $400 an hour now, <laughs> but uh, I, I've increased it. Um, and uh, I have more people, I have more customers after I increased it and made it solid than I did before. I had less customers when I was going half price and going, well, what can you afford, right? They were quickly going, uh, well, I'm going to go to this other guy who's way more confident that, that he's charging me what he's worth because he must be, he must know more than you because he's not charging $20 an hour. He's charging $200 an hour, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great point as well. And I, I, and I love your analogy of what would a, a solidly priced attorney charge Yep. Um, I I use the example of doctors, right? Mm -hmm. When when you're sick, and obviously you know your your concussion was a great example because I wasn't working with with losers either. I was ready to no, I want the best, right? So yep. you don't start out looking at hey, I wonder what you know what neurologist is really average. Yeah. No, <laughs> discount neurologist. Go, right, discount neurology. <laughs> No, I want to go, you know, just like you wanted to go to the guy who, who, who treated the ducks. Yeah. I'm seeing, I'm seeing somebody now and it's just for my leg. It's for my hip. It's not even my brain. Right. It works with the, the Buffalo Sabres because, cause I do have a head injury and I want somebody who understands the whole body. You gotta, you, you want to work with an expert. So yeah. do your clients want to work with an expert and, and charging expert rates is part of what says I'm an expert. Yep. Yep. For sure. And that really is the thing that really began because now I started walking differently. I started talking differently. My, um, the, the stuff that I would write in emails, the website began to change. Everything began to change because uh, of that uh, mindset. My mindset changed everything, which now when people came, they go, oh, this is where I'm in the right place. Uh, and one last little tidbit is that also the most uh, uh, difficult clients you will have are the people that 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 you do things for half price they're always they will always be your worst customers always <laughs> and i don't ever say never or always for anything but i know for sure whenever i've given a discount or done it for free pay me later kind of thing they cause me more work more heartache um they're difficult and uh, they'll be the first ones to write a bad Yelp review they'll be the the first people to write a bad review on your facebook page just don't don't do it. Don't, yeah, don't and, and especially don't don't do free. Um, yeah. When I started out, I did a lot of free stuff, and you know you have to do something to to build up your your own courage to be able to own your own expertise, as you just uh, uh, illustrated. But I also um, I started out after my career in human resources. I started out doing career coaching, and I would have organizations that would say, oh, will you donate a gift certificate for a rat? I'm like, you know, this really isn't the kind of thing that somebody goes to because they want it in a raffle. They've got to drive to do it, right? So I'm like, all right, I'll do it, right? No, make a policy and stand by it, right? So I did it. I actually had somebody call me two years after, and I had, I put, because I put a date on it, right? Expires, must be used by. He called me two years later and said, I don't care what it says. Yep. I expect you to do this. And I said, I don't care what you say. I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, that was a really uncomfortable position for me to be in. And mm -hmm. every time I donated a gift certificate, 
I got somebody who would harass me. I'm giving you something free. <laughs> I don't understand that. There's like some, I don't know, a doctoral thesis, I swear, could yeah. be written on this. But I, it, There must be somewhere. Somewhere, somebody, um, yeah. If I, if, when, I've given, when we give away stuff for free, it's uh, an evaluation. That's really the only thing I give away for free. And the evaluation isn't necessarily for the customer. <laughs> it's for me to decide whether I want to work with you or not. Yes. <laughs> and so we look at the problem, we identify the problem, we say, okay, this is going to be the right program for you over here, or this one over here, or this one right here, or you know what, we're not right for you, right? And so it allows me, so that's kind of the, the free thing I give away. However, uh, when I do charge for it, which is probably what I do more often, it's uh, $100 for the evaluation um, for us to kind of look at what you know, what you and your dog, and I'm talking about the dog business right now, right, right. Uh, that that hundred dollars can be used towards the full price of another program. Right. So I, I, I do that also. So yeah. uh, I want them to make a commitment. They're paying money because they're more likely to show up and be there. Um, I'll spend a little bit more time with them if they did pay that hundred dollars and then they could use that hundred dollars to pay for a full price of something else. So yeah. essentially they can still get it for free, but I want to see the commitment. I want to see them show up. And I want to know them. I want to know that they are committed to fixing the problem with their dog. And yeah. so that so there's two ways of doing that. Free, free look at it as you're trying to decide whether you're going to do business with them. Uh, and another way is that you can kind of apply that that fee, whatever that was, to something else. Yeah, I, I love that. And I really recommend that any, especially if it's an opt-in or some kind of lead generating type of thing, that it be something, I don't want to say hurdle, but that it be some kind of qualifying process where you're learning about them, like an assessment. I love those because they've got to take the effort to then fill it out, right? So many people will download something. I've done it myself. Download something, never open it. But you're going to take this assessment, and then if you send it back to me, now I know you're really interested, right? So mm -hmm. you're qualifying them while you're educating them as well. So, yeah, I think those are great, great maneuvers. So now, so you were running the business. You mm -hmm. finally figured out, all right, I got I to run this business right and actually make money out of it. And you started marketing it, right? How did you start actually marketing the business? Yes. Can I add a step? You can, please that? do. Uh, I think the next thing I did is I found an assistant that, that oh, yeah, knew yeah. all the things I hated, right. that all the things I despised, because it was hard for me to do anything else because I was so busy right. just trying to keep, uh, you know, not even ahead work. of stuff, just on top of stuff. I was getting right. buried with all the crap, right? Yeah. All the IRS stuff, the, all the, I mean, this, this, you know, if you run a business, you know what I'm talking about. And so I had to find somebody that would also okay. call people that I, I didn't like calling people and asking them to, to, to pay their contracts, right? I hated that too, trying to get paid for some of the contracts that we had with some of these places that I named earlier, which were almost impossible to get paid from, right. um, governmental agencies, uh, yeah. big corporations, the right. worst. Um, and so I, the very next thing that I did after setting my price is that, okay, now I can afford now to get somebody to do the things I don't like doing. So my first thing was finding an assistant Good. that answered the calls, emails, you know, did the, uh, the accounting to this, to the point where we can send it to a real accountant. And so I think that would be the second most important thing that I did besides deciding that I'm an expert. <laughs> so okay. Really, Good. really important. Yep. So how did you start to market the business much more, I don't know, elaborately, getting online or what? Yeah, well, that's good. That, that, this is a good place to start. So okay. the good news for me, and I had good news, bad news. The good news is that I saw early on that video was an important place to be. Yeah. And that was at the time, back in the day, when YouTube, before YouTube started, there were these things called DVDs and VHS tapes, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you remember those? And so I began to record training videos because there was one other guy doing it in the business that I knew of. And he was charging like $75 for like a 30-minute video on VHS that was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> you didn't even know what he was even talking yeah. about on the video. I go, he's charging $75 for a VHS tape that has no information on it. Uh, and so I began... Uh, producing these tapes and things like that and selling them and really beginning to understand. And they were, they were, mine were bad too. They weren't as bad as the other guy, but I they were pretty bad. everybody was bad back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doing it yourself. Yeah. Cause I was going, hi, my name's Andy. Um, I'm <laughs> a dog. I'm nothing like I am now. I'm way more relaxed and way more, hopefully way more funny. But um, I was just watching one the other day because I was looking for something and I found one. And I go, Oh my God. 
you're a horrible person. And so that I charge for those, those videos. But anyway, uh, but it, it started the process, right, of learning how to set up a camera, the lighting, the, the audio and that kind of stuff. And, and then speaking, giving a message into the camera. Again, they start off horrible. And I'm telling you, they will be horrible. Your first 10 will be horrible. They will be horrible. Did I say that enough? Don't let it stop you because uh, it'll lead to something. I promise you. So I promise you. So uh, then YouTube came out. And so I then was one of the first dog trainers that I know of starting to use YouTube when it became uh, more than just the dating. It, it, you know, it started off as a dating uh, platform uh, and then turned into a, a, a community thing or a, uh, you know, a thing where people put all kinds of different videos. Right. And so that's when I kind of jumped in in 2005 and uh, began creating videos. Again, they were not fantastic. Uh, I started using green screen. I started using all kinds of stuff. I then hired a camera guy who followed me around uh, every day, and that's a, his job was to shoot video. Um, and But I began to see the value in it. Yeah. And so that's the good news. The good news is that I, I got into video early. I understood it. I understood the editing process. I knew all this stuff. The problem was I didn't know who my market was and what my message for that market should have been. And so that was... Uh, I, although I was, I was ahead of the game in video, I wasn't as effective as I could be. And it wasn't until I met uh, a group of people down there in San Diego, uh, Mike Hannings being the, the main guy down there who uh, has this thing called the hot seat that he called me up on, uh, on stage in front of three or 400 people. Were you there that day? No, I wasn't. Okay. It was the next one that I met. You <laughs> okay. at, I think. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was hurting pretty bad. I, 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 I was uh, in foreclosure. There was a bunch of stuff going on. So I knew I needed to change my marketing. Uh, and this, if I was going to make it in business, I need to understand this aspect because I, I'd figured out most everything else. It was just that I wasn't marketing to the, uh, well, I didn't know that I wasn't, I thought I was doing a great job. I was like, <laughs> well, look at my website and he looks at it and the video. So I'm, I'm trying to sell the pet dog people at this point. Right. And, but my, my website, you go to it, there's a police car chasing a car, another car. We're swerving on some empty lot somewhere, and the, the guy skids out, and then the decoy wearing the equipment runs into a building, and I send the dog. The dog tackles him and bites him. Rawr! And, yes, we can help you with your pet dog, too. And they're looking at it. They're going, <laughs> I don't get really? it. If I was a 60-year-old woman who has a dog who's peeing in her house and I come to your website, do you think that I would think as a 60-year-old woman with a dog who's peeing in her house that I'm at the right place by looking at your website? And I go, yes. I go, look how fantastic I am with my dog. I mean, I mean that's what I'm thinking in my head. Uh, and then I go, well, now that you say it that way, <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess not. And so that's when I began to learn about uh, your market and your message and your media. And understanding all yeah. of that, that when you're targeting a specific narrow, not huge, like I thought that I was selling to anybody that owned a dog and they said, no, you're not, you're not on your pet dog. You're selling, you're selling to a very narrow type of person, right? Who's looking for a specific thing. And if your website doesn't speak to that person in that place at that time, then they're going to go somewhere else. Right. So understand what it is, who, you, who you're marketing to, who is your market, right? And then base your message on who your market is. And use the media that they're going to use to watch that message that you're giving them, whether it's video or written blogs, or it's a book, or it's whatever it is, you need to understand that and make sure you're where they are. Uh, and in many cases, uh, Facebook was just getting started kind of about back then. And so, uh, but now, right now for pet dog people, it's mostly in Instagram and Facebook, I'd say together, because people love to take pictures of their dogs, right? And so that was a complete shift. And I was going, oh my gosh, what a moron for 10 years or so. <laughs> I thought the guns and the, 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 the car chases and the explosions and the repelling with our dog out of the helicopter. I thought that was the thing that people with their pet dog <laughs> would be like, oh yeah, then for sure he can train my pet dog. And no, they were like looking at it and going, oh, I'm in the wrong place. Let me go look for uh, Uncle Maddie. <laughs> in Los Angeles. And so, <laughs> wow, I go on, I go on tirades, don't I? I'm so sorry. No, I, you know what? I think that that was a brilliant tirade because that's really the essence of, of marketing, right? You've got to have the right message. And Dan Kennedy is famous for message market match, right? And yep. it, it really does come down to your message and who wants what you're trying to communicate. That's really what it is. Down. And people want to be so broad. And I was one of those people. So I'm not, I'm not right. saying anything that I not, yeah. I, I, I'm not taught that I know that I'm, what I'm saying is true because I said, everybody who has a, has a dog is my customer. No. no, right. I only want people that can pay. 
number one. I only want people that are going to follow through. And the people that follow through then give you good testimonials. People follow through, exactly. then they can change in the relationship between them and their dog, right? Yep. And uh, I want people to understand that if you have a dog that's aggressive, I have a program for that. And so when I'm talking about people with dog, that's a very narrow, right? Yes. So I, when I'm talking to them, I say, do you have a dog? Do you have a love-hate relationship with your dog? A dog that when you don't even want to take on a walk anymore because they uh, want to ch- uh, chase and bite the, the kid on the skateboard that rides by at the, at the worst possible time when you're holding a Coke in one hand and, a, and your baby stroll in the other hand. Is, uh, do you have that happen to you? What would it be like if you could actually walk your dog down the street without ever having to worry about that dog chasing anybody? What would that feel like? Would you take that dog out more often? And so you see how the message begins to develop. I just made all that up right now. Exactly. No, it's <laughs> Awesome. Right. And so the person who has, oh my gosh, yes, I know. Yeah. I've almost, my, right. my child almost went down this hill because I was busy trying to catch my dog and I was, yeah. I got, look at this injury that I got. Right. Yep. And I get all of those people because that message is very narrow, specific, specifically for that type of person. Yeah. I just give myself the chills right now. <laughs> and, that, and that was awesome. It's an awesome illustration. And I think that this concept, it's another one of those super important things that we resist. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost counterintuitive, right? We're thinking, I need more clients, not less. What are you, nuts? But in actuality, you become easier to find when you are narrow. And, you know, before before we started this, I, we were both catching each other, other up, and I was explaining, well, these are the people that I serve. And you were like, okay, yeah, I get it now. Yeah. Because that makes, vroom. as soon as you meet somebody who that's a match, well, then you're going to send them my way. So I, I, we do ourselves a disservice by trying to please everyone. We actually become easier to refer to, easier for clients to find. And I think you actually, or this is maybe I'm projecting, you hear no less because you're only talking to just those people, right? And it gives you permission to really be an expert in just those people. It, it, it makes your life so much simpler to be focused on, on that thing. It just simplifies your life a little bit. Right. It, it was a game changer when I learned that uh, those three things, you know, okay. uh, about market message and media and, uh, and really um, changed the way I, I wrote a book. I mean, it just changed everything, right? It's like, oh, if I write a book specifically for on this one topic, right? And then sure enough, I get on Animal Planet and uh, – um, National Geographic and Nat Geo, uh, Caesar Milan calls me and says, hey, I, I hear you're the best. Like he's calling me, telling me I'm the best and saying we uh, need you to help us with a show about pit bulls. And so, and it was just basically because I really honed in on <laughs> my message and the media. I mean, really, that was the change. And suddenly yeah. the, it just, I've narrowed down, I've identified who I am and who I can help and it changes everything. And then the, it just, it just is so much better. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what. I find interesting then is how you ended up becoming this go-to person when it comes to live video and can you talk about how you, how that has shifted for you and where does that fit in in the Andy Empire? Well, again, I think uh, realizing way back when on VHS days that uh, the video is is somehow somehow I knew I I, I don't think it was okay. conscious at the time but somehow I knew that. It was because I liked it, I guess, <laughs> you know, I like video. I'm, I'm much better at watching video than I am reading a book. And I know there's a lot of people that love books. That's perfectly mm-hmm. fine. But for me, I need to, the, I needed to see it, hear it, feel it in, right. in a lot of senses. And so, and then I began to think the people that were shooting the video were, you know, uh, were special, right? Were authorities where, um, they, their platform, it was created off of these videos that made me think that they were something more right and so I go god I want that <laughs> yeah you know, I want to be in that position where people come to me and I and it's happened right I've had people watch the video go, oh my god I've watched all your videos I just another one of those messages I just got right now is that I've watched all your mess all your videos on YouTube and everything because I'm just wanting to message you to see if I actually can talk to you it was like I go yeah you can talk to me <laughs> I'll let you <laughs> um and so so that was um part of it um but uh, how, how it's kind of developed is that I've really begun to see the power behind it and uh, in, a, in a lot of different ways. And so um, the, uh, the most important thing I think that I tell people about how people begin to think I'm the authority in something is that I've created that. 
I've created the fact that you think I'm an authority <laughs> on these things. And I'll tell you a funny story because Facebook Live is not that old. So however old it is, I, I think I've lost track. I used to know exactly because I used to speak a lot on Facebook Live. Uh, but um, I saw a post in a, uh, a, I think it was Moms Helping Moms. It was a bunch of mothers who aren't entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And somehow I found the group and there was a message on there that said, you know, we're looking for people to speak at our next social media uh, 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 conference that we're having, a three-day conference. <clears throat> or it was a one-day conference. It doesn't matter how many days. And so I said, uh, and so I, Facebook Live had just gone live on Facebook, right? Okay. Just had started. And so I go, well, I want to speak on stage. And I, and I was already doing video on YouTube, as you know. I was doing all these other things. And when Facebook decided to go Facebook Live, I've already been doing another thing called Blab and another thing called Periscope. Mm -hmm. And so I go, well, Facebook Live, we can go live in Facebook? How cool is that? Right? And so I just looked at it. I created my, my very first Facebook Live, I think, a week after it started. Like my, my account finally gave me the ability to go live on Facebook, only using the phone. You still couldn't use the right. computer. So I, I did it twice, right? And then I saw this message from this mom's group and I typed to them and said, I am the leading expert in Facebook Live uh, and I can speak on your stage about how you can use it to really get your message out there, speak to a specific audience. And I just took everything I knew about shooting video and applied it to Facebook Live. And they go, oh man, we're looking for somebody just like you. The next thing I know, I'm the expert in Facebook Live in San Diego speaking on a stage in front of 300 people. Uh, and the why? Because I... I did it. I told them that I was the expert. So now I only thing I want you to take away from this is that in the dog training stuff, I, I did for 20 years leading up to being the leading authority expert in dog training in uh, police dogs, bomb dogs, narcotics dogs, and then pet dogs. Right. But in the Facebook live, I'd only known a, a day before everybody else that I went and spoke of and I was the leading expert. So it doesn't matter. And I know people say, well, you know, I haven't been doing it for that long. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, classically trained to do this or the other thing, right? That's why I can't do it. You, you lie to yourself and you give your kinds of, all kinds of excuses not to do something because of the time. I was able to become a leading expert in Facebook Live just a day before anybody else on the planet and speak in a stage on, uh, on the subject matter in San Diego as a leading expert. And so much of what you asked me about right now is because I've created it through writing books, through changing my message, through finding out where my market is and speaking to them and, and charging, uh, uh, you know, an appropriate amount for somebody who is an expert should charge and then maintaining that price. So it's all of those things. And now having the confidence to tell people that I'm an expert. And like I said, I told them I was an expert in Facebook Live because yes, I was because it was only been around for a couple days. <laughs> yeah. So who else is one? I mean, yeah, people to get. Yeah, exactly. At, at the time when I went on stage, I can't believe how many people after I got off stage go, what, what's this thing called? It's called Facebook Live. Where it's on Facebook? Yeah. Like nobody knew. Like, and so, yeah, I was this guy who was like, yeah, I, yeah. You don't know about this thing? Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, and so, yes, I became an expert in Facebook Live because I, I told people I was. Right. Yeah. And, and again, own it. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. this, the skills that you already had and you embraced it and you were able to figure it out and talk to people who consciously did not know but wanted to know. So you were the expert. Absolutely. Yeah. So now, how, so you've actually built this additional, I'm going to call it a line of revenue, an additional revenue stream where you actively teach other people how to do this, right? The technology behind it and the how to put their videos together. Tell us a little bit about that, what it is that you do for other people. Well, when I, just to kind of tell you about me a little bit yeah. is that when I was in detectives in, uh, at Anaheim Police Department, it was before a lot of these other things. So it was back in the, it was back in the 1900s. And so <laughs> um, at the time, I had the, the most current phone, the most current pager, the most current whatever, right? And so they called me Inspector Gadget. So just know <laughs> that about me, that I love technology. I love gadgets. I've always loved it. And so uh, now, now we come to this space here where I'm at today. Uh, just knowing that, that that's kind of one of the things I love doing. Um, and so what I have done, I, I created just about everything in relationship to the dog training business that is that has got us to a successful point where we have trainers all over the planet. I have, I have trainers in Argentina, in Europe, and I have them here in the United States who are using our system and training other people. So I take everything that I did to create that 
which was again, creating, uh, you know, finding out who my market was, my messages, the media that I'm going to use. Um, uh, I began to write books, which gave me more authority. I began speaking on stage. Uh, I got on television because of the stuff that I did in relationship to books and that kind of stuff. And so what I've done is I go, you know what, that, that worked for me in the dog training business, but you know what, it'll work for anybody. It'll work for a chiropractor or it'll work for a dentist. It'll work for a bricklayer. If you do it right, you can actually become the leading authority in that thing, no matter what it is, a, a backyard chicken raiser, you know, or a home gardener or what, with a, the bath bomb uh, uh, girls that you talked about. They're doing the same thing, right? They, they're taking this thing and they're setting themselves up as the leading authority in that thing. And so that's what I help people do. So I've taken all of the, the stuff that I, I, I the, all the knowledge I've gained from doing what I'm doing, all the mistakes I made, uh, and, and, and teaching people how not to do that and protect, I'm hopefully protecting people from making that mistake. And now, um, we teach people how to do it and we created a mastermind group behind it uh, that really uh, it's its basis is in book writing and publishing and that kind of stuff. But it does go off into the other areas that I just spoke about. And so that's what I do now. Okay. So what you're really talking about is helping, helping people really build a platform of authority, right? Yes. Where they become the visible, recognizable, obvious expert in yep. a particular area of focus. That's yeah, because awesome. it, it could be an expert who's never thought about writing a book or thought about writing a book but right. thought they can't, right? And so I, well, we start from there. Or you have people that have written a book, but now they don't know what to do with the book. Like, I, I, I'm a best-selling author, and now what do I do? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, writing the book is easy in comparison. Yeah, yeah, as we all know. Yeah, oh, you yeah. mean I have to stand up in front of people? Uh, well, that would be kind of an important thing to do if you can, uh, you know, get around your fear of doing that. Let me help you get through right. your so I teach people about that. Again, I come from a place where I was completely fearful. I couldn't stand up and read in school, right? I would pee my pants. Uh, I, literally, I, would, I was that nervous and scared about doing it. And so uh, I know that feeling of, of, of doing that. I spoke in front of 800 people at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, and uh, I was uh, a little fearful of doing that. <laughs> yeah. The good news, I had a dog with me, and the dog did most of the work and made me look really, really good. Um, but uh, yeah, that fear that I had going up that very first time going on that huge stage with all those standing room only. Uh, I can, I'll never forget it. And I just like going, wow, I can't believe I'm going to stand up and, and do this and, uh, and had to do it. So I know that feeling and I know how to get people past it and, uh, and get them started. So, yeah. So we help people do that. That's outstanding. So you still do the dog stuff and mm. now you are, you have this additional line of business. That's exciting where it's all just packaging your expertise as you continue to evolve and realize that, hey, I can teach other people how to do I keep, this. I keep trying to get out of the dog business. I just can't get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps coming back. I thought I was almost out, and then all of a sudden a bunch of interest came in. A bunch but of they keep pulling me back in, I right? Know. line from the Godfather. Andy, I could go on for days with you. love you so much, and you have such great information to share with people. I really appreciate your, your openness, your honesty. Let's tell everybody where they can go to learn more about you and about this mastermind program if, if they're interested in learning more. Well, I think the, uh, the best place right now to find all the stuff that I'm doing in relationship to helping entrepreneurs is the Facebook Live TV show, and it's FB Live um, uh, uh, Facebook show uh, on uh, Facebook. So you just type that in there. The, I'm sure there'll be a link somewhere they can find it. But yes. that's probably where you're going to see most of the videos where I'm interviewing, okay. um, you know, some of the leaders in the in the niche, whether it has to do with, you know, autoresponders or LinkedIn or, or how to use a camera or how to use lighting so that you don't look funny. Um, it's all on the Facebook Live TV show. That's what that's all about is helping people create their, their TV show. But it, it does talk about the other stuff. Um, and then if you're interested in dog stuff, you just go to Falco Canine Academy uh, uh, in that Facebook page. The Facebook is the place to go right now. Um, right. Okay. So either one of those Facebook pages, um, you can see what we're doing and how we're doing it. Awesome. And, of course, there the, we'll have links to everything, all the ways you can reach Andy. We'll have links to the books that he's written so you can you can check them out as well. But everything you'll – all Andy all the time will be in the show notes <laughs> so people can get them. Andy, I can't thank you enough for, for being here. Just love spending time with you, and, and this has really been great information. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'm glad we finally worked it out.
All right, I hope you found Andy's story and lessons he shared helpful. He's so much fun to talk to. I could have gone on for hours with him. If you like what you heard, please leave a great review for the show and this episode on the platform where you consumed it. And please share the episode and the show with your contacts and community. All right, so your cocktail exercise, also known as a reflection exercise. Now alcohol needs to be involved. Don't drink and drive. Don't overindulge. All right, so think about what you could be doing that could be holding you back. How could you be getting in your own way? You know, Jack Canfield, the legendary author of The Success Principles and one of the stars of The Secret, he really talks about how you have to accept responsibility for all the things that you're doing, all the the results that you get, and you've got to take action to change and create the success you really do dream of. Andy shared how he had to learn to accept his expertise. So if you wrestle with that, remember, no one wants to work with someone who's average. We all want to work with the person who's the best. Now, if you struggle with communicating and owning your expertise, there's a deeper story there. Andy alluded to it when he said he, you know, that we don't want to sound like an egotistical jerk. Well, the key is to not go around saying you're an expert. The key is to demonstrate that you're an expert. This inspires others to recognize you as one and to, to call you one on their own. So that means that you need to produce content demonstrating your expertise. And Andy and I both think video is a powerful way to do that. There are other things you can do as well. You know, we, Andy talked about it. We've both published books. We speak. And we appear on other people's shows. So when you think about what does an expert do? to demonstrate to other people that they are an expert, that is the kind of stuff that actually attracts clients, it attracts opportunities, and it helps you build your business. So back to the issue of what you're doing that's holding you back. For Andy, it was he wasn't owning his expertise. He wasn't charging like the sought-after expert with 20 years of experience that he was. And he was also caught up in doing everything himself. I did an interview with multi-New York Times best-selling author Mike Michalowicz. He's the guy who wrote the classic toilet paper entrepreneur, Profit First, and The Pumpkin Plan, which is my favorite, and so many others. So he said that if you're going to build an expert-based brand, then you've got to get help as fast as you possibly can, because if you don't, you're going to limit your impact and your income. So I really want you to challenge yourself. How are you holding yourself back? And then listen to the ways you rationalize and justify what you're doing. All right, now for your action step. I'm actually going to give you a couple things to do because I think this was really a powerful episode. So job one, raise your prices. You've got to be comfortable, of course, with what you charge because you've got to communicate it. And, of course, you've got to deliver value that justifies it. But you know you're undercharging. I don't care if you only raise them $10. Pick a number and raise it. After doing this episode with Andy, I raised my rates again. So next is to make a list of all the things you do in your business that aren't using your greatest talents and pick at least one that you're going to get help with. Now, Andy called it his superpower. What's your superpower? You've got one. Chances are you might have more than one. But the, the key is that the, in building a business, as Andy alluded, we're not just doing that thing we do, right? We're not doing it. And we're not doing it enough, in our opinion, because we're stuck doing these other things that are necessary. So that's why you really want to involve yourself in high-value high return on investment marketing activities. And you want to make sure that as much of your time is spent in doing what only you can do. And as the expert, that's typically in the content creation. It's maybe in having marketing conversations and sales conversations with clients. It's all of that kind of stuff. But there are so many things that we tell ourselves that, oh, I have to do this. No, you don't. Systematize it. Get somebody else to do it. Just that's it. You've got to free yourself up to really do that high value stuff and to, to be the face of your business, right? That's something that nobody else can do but you. So if you think you're not financially ready to pay for help, then figure out how much you have to earn in order to get it. 
And please don't be cheap here. You want to be paid for your talent and expertise? Well, so do other people. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you don't consider your budget, but don't make a decision based solely on price because you don't want your own clients to do that. So I'm going to list some resources that you can turn to for potential help, but you can also ask your colleagues, of course, who they use and where they find great help. And I'll also provide a link for you to that interview I did with Mike Michalowicz. It's very long, but it is really outstanding. I mean, when I think about the time that he gave me and the great tips he shared, it was really awesome. I think it's a perfect companion to this interview. All right, so if you're ready to become a courageous entrepreneur, you're a mission-driven, introverted coach or consultant who is ready to break free from underachieving, under-earning, and playing small, maybe you're tired of feeling confused, frustrated, and overwhelmed as you try to break through to the next level of success, you're ready to get the support, the accountability, and guidance that you need, then you need to consider joining the Courageous Entrepreneur Club. The club is made of small groups of no more than 10 people each who are solo professionals and entrepreneurs who receive coaching, accountability, and support from me, and also from each other as they move forward to come out of hiding, achieve the goals that they otherwise would lose focus on, and generally take their business to the next level of success. Group enrollment happens at specific times during the month, so if you want to learn more, go to winnieanderson.com slash join the club. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. Remember, you deserve all the success you dream of.